What is going on, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 49 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and we've got a great episode on tap for you guys today. I want to start by mentioning our guest this week. I'm not sure if all of you have heard of him. I'm sure some of you have. His name is Kevin Woodley. Kevin is the managing editor for Ingle Magazine. He also works for NHL.com, where he covers the Vancouver Canucks. He's not coming on the show to talk about the Canucks. He's coming on the show to talk about goalies, specifically a lot of chatter about Igor Shosturkin and and what makes him so good. Where does he rank right now among the best goalies in the NHL? Also talk a little bit about Alex Georgiev. And, And Kevin is amazing, one of the best there is out there, really anywhere you look, as far as analyzing goalies, breaking things down. He knows the entire league inside and out. You can throw a goalie at him, and he can give you strengths and weaknesses, and it's pretty incredible. He comes highly recommended. Steve Valiquette is a guy who had told me, you got to talk to this guy. He's amazing when it comes to breaking down goalies. I've heard glowing things about him for a while, so I finally reached out. Going to have him on the show this week, so we'll get to that conversation with Kevin where we break down the goalie stuff in just a little bit. But let's start with what's going on with the New York Rangers. And as always, another eventful week. Every week is eventful for this team, it seems. And it started a few days ago with some bad news for the Rangers. And I guess this is probably the best place to start because it certainly was the news of the week. And that is Sammy Blay, the powerful winger, the physical winger, the the guy who I think in a lot of ways was slowly earning his way to become a fan favorite, is lost for the season with a torn ACL in his right leg. We saw the injury happen against the New Jersey Devils on Sunday night. Really, really unfortunate. I mean, you got to feel terrible for this guy. He, He came here, of course, fans were a little skeptical of him at first because he was viewed as the guy who... The Rangers traded Pavel Buchnevich for. Of course, the Rangers also got a pick in that deal. But Blay, I think, was catching a little heat from fans maybe at first because the perception was that the Rangers had traded a top-line winger in Buchnevich for a fourth-line winger in Blay. What we saw pretty quickly was that Blay is is much better than your average fourth-liner, was capable of playing further up in the lineup. He had actually ascended all the way to the top line. Now, ideally... He's not going to be a top-line winger for the Rangers in the long term. That They have, obviously, some more talented prospects and dynamic players that they're hoping will eventually take that role. But due to injuries, and Philip Hedl was out, and the Rangers have had some different things going on, Blay was actually playing on the top line at the time of his injury. And he's a guy that I can tell you from myself watching him personally, from the feedback that I've heard from other people, and from how I know the Rangers felt about him internally, they were really happy with what they were getting from Blay. They, they felt that not only was he this, as Barclay Gaudreau called him the other day, Barclay Gaudreau said he's the, the one of the best hitters he's ever seen, which is a high praise, obviously. But not only does he bring that physical element, but there's a lot more to this guy's game. He plays really hard. He's a good four-checker. He's heavy for opponents to deal with, no doubt about it. And he's also got really soft hands. He didn't score any goals in his, uh, I forget how many games he played. I want to say 13 or 14 games that he played. But he had a handful of assists, and and we saw the skill pop almost on a nightly basis. So this is definitely an important player for the Rangers, an emerging player for the Rangers, and now they are without him for the remainder of the season. So that is a big blow to the team, no doubt about it. What it does is it opens opportunity for other guys. We're going to talk a little bit in the Twitter question portion of the show about how exactly the Rangers fill that void. 
Right now, the guy who is getting the first opportunity to step up is Julian Gauthier, who did the job on Tuesday, scored his first goal of the season. The Rangers, I just wrote about this today on a story that went up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers on Wednesday, are trying out this kid line right now. And we've seen different variations of the quote-unquote kid line in the last few years. But right now, the third line, for the time being, it was this way on Tuesday. It's going to be again on Thursday in Toronto. Alexi Lafreniere on the left wing. Philip Heedle at center. He just returned from that upper body injury and I thought looked pretty good on Tuesday. And Julian Gauthier is getting the first crack at right wing. And right wing is now a spot where the Rangers' depth is really being tested. They trade Buchnevich. We all know about the problems with Vitaly Kratsov. I, I, I tweeted this the other day, and I'll reiterate it here. He is not an option for the Rangers until the end of the KHL season. The Rangers have committed with their loan to Tractor to let him play out the full season in Russia. And even at the end of the season, you guys know that I'm skeptical that they'll actually be able to work things out and that we'll ever see him in a Rangers uniform again. But it's not a possibility right now from what I've been told. So you keep crossing names off this list. So we know they have Capo Caco at right wing, but what else do they have? Barclay Gaudreau can play either wing. He's obviously on the right right now. And Julian Gauthier is getting a crack at holding down a top nine spot. Now, if that doesn't work out, we'll see where the Rangers go from there. Again, we're going to talk about that in the final segment of the show. But that's where the Rangers stand as far as the Blay injury goes. But despite this injury, the team continues to roll. We are now talking about four wins in a row. They just beat the Montreal Canadiens on Tuesday, 3-2, to two, but I thought the game was more lopsided than that 3-2 to two score. I thought the Rangers absolutely dominated the first period of that game. They had 17 shots on goal. That They were peppering the Canadiens. I thought their young goaltender actually played really well, considering all the quality chances that the Rangers were generating. And you look at, especially when we spoke last week, when the Rangers had that practice time, And we talked about how the wins were sort of smoke and mirrors. The goaltending was covering up some of their warts. They really needed to take that practice time to clean up their game, to stop giving up those high danger chances, particularly in the slot that they were allowing in the defensive zone, to stop being sloppy with the puck, cut out the turnovers, especially in the neutral zone, and to start generating more offense. The the offense had been incredibly lackluster at five on five through the first couple weeks of the season. All those things have looked a lot better in the last three games since the Rangers came out of that that recovery week that we called it last week. The Rangers have won all three of those games. They beat the Canadiens, as I mentioned. They beat the New Jersey Devils on Sunday, which game ends up going to a shootout, and it very easily could have went the other way, obviously, when you get to the point where you're at a shootout. But the Rangers, I think, did overall play a, a solid game in that one. I especially like the offensive chances that they were creating and the game that they played Saturday in Columbus against the blue jackets. I thought was a really well-played all around game for them. They were up five two at one point, ended up giving up a goal late, but these last three games to me has not been about the goaltender having to stand on his head and, and do everything and carry this team on its back. It's felt like a much more complete team effort. And that is, seems to be the feeling Top to bottom, every player that we've talked to in the last few days has made a point of saying that. Gerard Gallant has talked about how much better he feels about the way the team is playing now versus the way they were playing a week or so ago. And when you talk about the offense, think about this. The Rangers, in the win against the Blue Jackets and the win against the Devils, 
41 shots on goal in each of those games. That that matches what was their best output of the season, meaning they had not had more than 41 in any previous game. They hit their season high against Columbus, and then they matched it in the game against the Devils. They also generated 34 shots on goal against Montreal on Tuesday, which I believe is the fourth highest total for them for this season. So Galan has talked about simplifying things, putting pucks to the net. We, we've heard <laughs> we've heard him talk about putting pucks to the net over and over and over again. And it may sound like an oversimplification, but it's working. The Rangers have been much more aggressive with their shot. And that's been leading to more high danger chances. If, if you look at what Natural Stat Trick has, the last three games, the Rangers in each of those games have had 16 high danger scoring chances. That means, we've talked about this before, Shane explained it to us a, a bit more in depth a few weeks ago, but that means rebounds, one-timers, shots from the slot, shots from the net front, odd man rushes. Those are the high danger chances that the Rangers want to generate. And the, each of those last three games have been the best output that they've had, 16 in each of those games. They, they hadn't had more than that in any other game this season. So not only are they shooting the puck more, but they're getting more quality chances. And the collective response or overall what this leads to for the Rangers is when we talked about those defensive zone issues. Well, what's the best way to fix defensive issues? Have possession of the puck more have the puck in the offensive zone more. So by creating more shots, holding onto the puck, not turning it over as much, the Rangers are not making themselves play as much defense as they were forcing themselves to play early in the season. That takes pressure off the goaltender, that takes pressure off the defense, and it puts you in a position to put more goals on the board. So overall, it's still not perfect, but it's definitely much better. No doubt about that. The other thing you have to feel good about right now is that those scoring chances that the Rangers are generating aren't just coming from Panarin and Zabanajad. It's coming from more than, and Kreider, of course, we should definitely mention Kreider, who's now up to 12 goals, which is tied with Alexander Ovechkin for second in all the NHL. The guy is absolutely on fire, but it's not just those three guys or just Adam Fox on top of them. We, we talked about that last week. There's been more of a balanced feel. I feel like the Rangers have been rolling all four lines in these last three games effectively better than they have definitely at any point this season and and maybe at any point last season too. It, It just feels like a more cohesive unit. It feels like a more balanced approach. What we saw on Tuesday against Montreal was that the top line with Kreider, Zabanajad, and Gaudreau gets a goal later in the game. I didn't think they started quite as fast as some of the other lines, but I thought they got better as the game went on. The best line for the Rangers in the past couple games has been Panarin, Strom, and Kako. Kako now, after going the first 10 games of the season with no points, has scored in back-to-back games. He's playing really well. We haven't even talked, we're 10 minutes into the show. We haven't even talked about him yet. Rangers obviously are very encouraged by what they're seeing from him. And then that third line, that kid line that we talked about, They also were effective. Gautier scores uh, in the game against Montreal. So that balance, that's what they need more of. That's something they got to keep striving for, no doubt. What you want to see next, because let's be real, Columbus, Jersey, Montreal, these are not the strongest teams in the league. So while the Rangers certainly look to be playing a much more complete game right now, you want to see if they can do that against some of the heavy hitters in the league, and they're going to get a chance to do that on Thursday night. They're traveling to Toronto. 
They already beat the Leafs once this year, but they were wildly outshot, wildly outpossessed in that game. That was certainly a stolen win from Igor Shosturkin for the Rangers. So what I want to see on Thursday is what does it look like now that they have seemingly become an improved team, that they are seemingly playing better, that their even strength production is up a notch from where it was the last time they were in Toronto. So I think this is going to be a good test for them for sure. I certainly think that it's not the end of the world if they lose that game, but you you want to see them look more competitive at even strength. You don't want to see so much pressure on the goaltender to single-handedly win the game. So uh, that's what I'll be looking for when the Rangers go to Toronto on Thursday. And then reminder for everybody They were supposed to play Saturday in Ottawa, but that game has been postponed because the Senators are dealing with the COVID issue, so they won't be back, or they will be back sooner, actually, but they won't play again until Sunday at the Garden, I believe, against the Sabres. So anyway, that's going to do it for our first segment. Let's get to our interview with Kevin, and then I'll be back after that interview to talk and answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome into the show a man who I've heard a lot of things about as far as his knowledge of goalies, so we're going to pick his brain a little bit here. He is Kevin Woodley. He is the managing editor for In Goal Magazine, and he covers the Canucks for NHL.com. So, Kevin, thank you for being here. How are you doing? Yeah, my pleasure. I'm good. Thanks for reaching out. I'm, uh, my pleasure to be here. Well, I, I mentioned to you that I reached out on the recommendation of Steve Valaket, who told me that nobody knows goalies around the league better than you. So can you confirm this? Uh, no, because Steve Aliquette is, see, this is the thing guys like Steve Aliquette are the reason that other people might say that because I learned so much from guys like that and goalie coaches around the league. I, I wouldn't have a clue if not for the openness of others in the industry to sort of talk to me about the position for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But, but you do have the unique perspective of, uh, you obviously cover the Canucks, but I, I, my understanding is you do a lot of different goalie features and, and you really follow the entire league very closely. Yeah, it's as much as you can, and Steve's numbers actually help me with that. At the end of the day, I follow the Canucks closest, so when I watch their goalies, I can see the progression they make daily in practice and how it translates into games. Really hard to do that around the league. What Steve's numbers allow you to do is contextualize performance in a way, you know, with a quick look at the stats and then hit a button to see what's working or not, and all the video comes up for something a guy's doing well at or struggling with, and you can actually watch them without having to watch all the games, which, as you know, just it's impossible to be subjective when you're you know or sorry objective when you're when you can't watch everything so uh, I watch a ton I run Ingle magazine or help run Ingle magazine it's kind of a two-man show um, and I've been blessed over the years to get to do different things with the position we have a podcast at Ingle but also like right down to being invited by Hockey Canada come out to their program of excellence and work as a video coach a couple of times so um, yeah I'm, I'm a goalie geek let's put it that way I am a goalie geek Steve is right in that regard cool cool well Then you're the perfect guy because I have some questions for you. There's obviously one guy I want to ask you a lot about, but let's start with a bit of a league overview. And we're approaching the quarter point of the season, which is kind of crazy. Like the Rangers have played 16 games now. I know teams are all in that sort of range. So which goalies, when you look around the league and analyze, do you see as playing the best right now? Well, the guy there in New York is at the top of my list right now, Igor Shesterkin. Um, You know, whether it's Steve's numbers in terms of, you know, goals against differential right now, he leads the league. Um, Adjusted save percentage is he's in in the top four. 
Um, you know, and there's a couple of guys that are just small sample sizes so far. So I expect that as those normalize, he'll end up being one or two. Uh, you know, just he's fun to watch too. Like from a goalie geek perspective, uh, I was watching um, Carter Hart, who's also having a hell of a bounce back season against Jacob Markstrom, who's in this conversation as well. Play last night, uh, Calgary and Philly, and I kind of quipped to the radio guy there. This is like I sent him a text message. I'm like, this is this is kind of like goalie porn here, man. This is like, you know, so I, I, I like I like watching guys that um, not only are having success, but are fun to watch and for different reasons, right? Like Markstrom's just this, like he's almost violent uh, in his movements. They're so powerful and, and extreme at times. And then you watch Carter, who's kind of like a miniature Carey Price. Everything's about efficiency and control. And then you watch Igor and it's kind of the same, like his power and his movement and his explosiveness is, is up there with, with a Jacob Markstrom. And yet there's a smoothness to it that it's just a totally different game. His patience on his edges, um, and then his ability. You know, I wrote it this about this uh, for Unmasked at NHL.com. His ability to move on his knees and skate while he's not even on his skates, while he's on his knees and move around his crease. Um, the goalie coach here gave me a great quote for the piece. He said it's like he's he's like an absolute hovercraft on the ice. And as good as his edge control is up, and I think that's one of the massive separators for him. Like he just his his patience on his edges and control on his edges and and waiting on releases before committing uh, is like at another level. And it shows up in the stats too. I love it when the when the stats match the eye test. But then on his knees, um, I don't know this this is why he's having all his success. But in, compared to everyone around the league, like I think he's the best goalie in the NHL right now when he's down on his knees, his ability to move. And there are a couple of elements of movement that he's doing differently than anyone else. Uh, there's one move that, again, it's not prominent. It's not something he has to do often. But when he does it, like there are literally kids that saw that we posted the clip at, at on our Ingo social because the Rangers had posted a morning skate clip and he made a save doing it a couple nights later. And like literally, we have kids around the world now sort of copying this move and seeing if they can do it and put it into their game. So, in a small way, like in the broad scheme of things, his movement on his knees is sort of setting a new standard in the National Hockey League. And in a small way, he's kind of redefining elements of the position in those terms, like right before our eyes in the National Hockey League against the best shooters in the world. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. Valley talked a lot about the poise and the patience that you touched on, but he also said, and this goes to what you were saying as well, that he's getting down to the ice from his feet to his knees better than anybody in the league right now, he said, except for maybe Vasilevsky. So I, I guess this all speaks to some of the things that you're talking about patience i mean this game is so much now i mean as it's become increasingly lateral east west and chances your ability to hold your edges you got to move can't if you can't skate you can't play and that's applies to goldies uh, more than ever uh and then you know valley's right like how you transition from up to down um again it starts with patience and not committing too early um, you know, look at Carter Hart as a prime example of this. Like when he's on his game, he beats everything on his edges and his transition to down is very biomechanically almost perfect. Like it starts with the head as opposed to pushing with the knees. If you think about it, if you're standing on your skates and you drive to the ice, cause of course we want to get to the ice as fast as we can once we're patient on our skates. But if you, if you initiate that movement with your knees and drive with your knees, what it does is it 
tends to pull your shoulders back. Like, and that's kind of like old goaltending. And by old, I mean like there's guys who are doing this five, six years ago. The sort of sequencing of movement, not just around the ice, but how you get to the ice. If you start it by driving with your knees and your body pulls back and your shoulders pull back, well, then your head comes back with it. And in order to watch the puck, if you, you know, hold something in front of you and then like pull your head back, your eyes go down drop your head forward, your eyes come up to, to sort of track it. And we want to keep our eyes in the middle of our sockets. The only way to do that is to initiate that movement with our eyes. And it allows our body to maintain visual connection through a release longer and then shift and move into it rather than, again, drive with your knees, everything comes off. Everything, the, the puck gets underneath your vision and then your hands get lost underneath you as well. So just, you know, it's a pretty detailed explanation for like, this is the level, though, that we're studying the position at. Like, we are looking at goaltending, and I'm sure there are guys that do it that don't even know it. Like, they, if I spoke this way to them, they'd be like, eh, what? <laughs> well, we look at it, you know, there are other guys that do understand it. We look at it like a golf swing. Like, we're breaking down the biomechanics of movement for goaltenders, much the way you would, you know, you see the, what is it? The Canolta, you know, vision swing cam on PGA tour coverage, where it's like, they're talking about the planes being aligned and they're slow mowing everything. Like there are things we can do looking at, at the way a goaltender moves and the way a goaltender goes to the ice that are on that level. And there's very much on off switches in terms of not necessarily how to do it, because the beauty of the position is there's there's no absolutes. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses that they get away with. But there is a most efficient way. And there is a way that allows us to remain connected with our eyes longer. And, you know, when you when you look at it from that lens, you know, Igor checks all those boxes too. And I doubt he's ever even been taught, you know, like tracking mechanics. It's just the way he does it. It's 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 like I said at the beginning, not to geek out too much, but it's it's pretty to watch. That efficiency that you speak of and the movement that you speak of for a smaller goalie like him, he's he's generously listed at six foot one. I mean, are those things even more important, or, or what do you sort of see as the keys for a smaller guy like him to have success? Well, patience is key, right? You see, Saros is I think he's left is he listed at six or five eleven? I be I doubt he's five ten, um, and and performing at a similarly high level. Maybe not quite to where Igor is this year, but um, you know, being a top five, top ten guy now for a couple of years. And hold again, holding edges in that patience is massive. When I look at Igor's numbers specifically, um, you know, on the ClearSight Analytics database, you know, what are the two things that he excels the most at types of chances? Well, one is screens, which again um, speaks to that patience, especially as you said, a small guy. Now there are other elements there. Like you've got to be able to manage traffic, um, knowing what shoulder to look over a screen. Do I go short side? Do I go to the middle? Where's my defensive coverage? Are my defensemen, if I'm going to go, you know, this, this comes right down to systems and listen, the Rangers are very generous defensive or uh, in terms of what they give up. Like they're not a great defensive team. Um, watching Igor this year. I, I have a little bit of flashbacks to watching Hank for all those years where they just like, okay, go win us some games. We'll, you know, We'll see you at the end kind of thing. It's like playing beer league, right? You shake hands with your defenseman at the beginning of the game and you see them in the locker room after. Um, <laughs> not quite not not quite that bad, but they're they're pretty they're, they're pretty generous. Um, but you look at the way he, so so screens, like you can manage like can I be on the short side of a screen and look around the guy in front of me from the other team on the short side? Can I trust my defenseman to be in the lane in the middle knowing that's his job on a PK? Like goaltending never exists in a vacuum. 
Um, there's one team I'm studying right now that's really struggling on the PK, and that's one of the things. The goalies keep looking bad because they look around the screen and the inside, and they get beat to the middle. And the numbers will show you that the screen's supposed to be this much. What they're never going to show you is, man, like the defenseman on the PK, the flexing D's got to take away that middle lane. Like that's his job. This is the goalie has to trust he's going to do that. And if he doesn't, he's the one that looks bad, but nobody knows it's the defenseman. So Igor manages screens exceptionally well. And part of that is being able to stay tall, pick the right shoulders, sometimes just straight out battle for sight lines and, and see pucks, but then the patience to be able to hold on that release longer, knowing he can still get to the ice. And the longer you're able to sort of fight for a lane, the more chances you see the release. And once you see the release, if you're not committing straight down, like we talked about, and you have that edge control, you can read it going to the other side of that screen and have time to push across and and still make that save. So there's a lot of different elements uh, that go into him being so good on screens. And the other one is, you know, he's one of the top guys in the league right now on uh, slot line plays, plays that go across the middle of the ice for quick shots on the other end. And, you know, again, I think that just speaks to beating plays on his skates. And when he is down, when he is on his knees, just there's that efficiency of movement. He's getting there and he's making saves, you know, at a rate on one of the toughest plays to stop in the National Hockey League that is, you know, far exceeds anyone else right now. That was a huge point of emphasis for the Rangers last week when they had a few days in between games and got some practice time in was Coach Gerard Gallant spoke a lot about giving up too many of those slot opportunities and he really wanted them to cut down. And and they have been better at it the last few days. I don't think Igor has had to stand on his head quite as much in the last three wins as he did for the first, let's say, 12 games or so. And now I think that's sort of more the balance that Rangers fans would like to see. But there's no question that he absolutely, and I know Valley keeps account of this, stole wins for the Rangers at least three or four times this year when they were still kind of finding their footing and getting used to a new coach and all that sort of thing. Are you, from a league perspective, are there any like obvious trends right now? It seems like you know, the position is constantly evolving. So is there anything that you feel like you're noticing that's more of a trend with some of the top goalies in the league? Or, or as you mentioned earlier, is it sort of different strokes for different folks and, and different sizes, you know, require different kind of skill sets? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of the position, right? There's no one way. There's never, there's no absolutes is what I always say. Like there are very few absolutes in goaltenders, in, in goaltending. There's certainly trends we can look to. Guys who play a certain way tend to be better at this than that um, it's almost like there's all these different skill sets Ian Clark says there's you know seven di- seven different components of elite goaltending and in each one there's a sliding scale like of a back and forth for each guy like each guy brings a different mix of things he's good at and things he might not be uh, or as good at and so there isn't any one way there isn't one thing that leads to success um, there are a couple elements that I think have become increasingly important based on the way teams attack uh, and I think we've seen that in part, you know, I mean, I look at the Capitals Cup run, which was influenced by Valakett's numbers, um, you know, on a team when they won the cup that allowed their goaltender to ha- or their goaltending coach uh, to take a look at those numbers and, and, and dictate a lot of what they did offensively. In other words, this is what scores on goaltenders. We have these numbers. Let's do more of this. And a lot of it was slot line, uh, even on a two on one. I remember when they won the cup, even in the cup final, like, you know, some incredible players with good looks on two on ones and they're passing out of them. And I'm like, what? Like, wow, Um, really? He's passing out of that. But the numbers just told you if you complete that pass, you take that shot 10 times, it's going in 20%. If you complete that pass and the guy gets a shot off, it's going in 
50 plus, right? So helps when you have elite players making the pass and finishing on the other end like they did. But you know, I, I think that as the league has sort of accounted for how to score, there's been skills that the goaltenders need to have. And so slot line plays are one and you got to be able to beat them on your skates and skating is really important. Like I said, at the beginning, if you can't move, you can't play. The other one though, in the last couple of years is, you know, broken plays and sort of scrambles in the slot area, create a lot of offense. So, you know, how do we manufacture broken plays? Like how do you say that one of the best ways to score is a broken play? It's a random act, right? Um, I think in the past, a lot of teams would try and create those from the points, right? Pucks on net, right? And then create the chaos and win the battles. And that's to a certain degree, there's value there. Um, but increasingly, you're seeing teams figure out that some of the better ways to funnel those pucks on net are from dead angles, are out of the corners, are from below the goal line. Because now, not only, um, you know, maybe those lanes are a little less clogged than the ones from the point um, with the amount of teams that collapse into the house so I can get that puck into those areas. Um, But the defensemen have now turned their back on the forwards. The goaltenders had to turn his head if it, if the play actually ends up behind the net at a point and take his vision off what's on the other end, right? That's why I like plays from behind the net. And I think teams are starting to attack not just from behind the net directly, but out of the corners and funnel those low slot line passes to create those, you know, most dangerous types of broken plays. And so uh, as teams create offense that way, and it's increased a lot in the last couple of years, what do you have to do as a goaltender? I think we talk a lot, you hear a lot about reverse VH and RVH fails or one of the hashtags that appears every time a goalie drops to his knees on a dead angle and somebody puts it by his ear. Um, and I usually say it's not an RVH fail, like the technique didn't fail. It was an, it was a, it was a failed RVH. The execution of the technique failed. And there's a lot of guys in the league that, you know, frankly don't execute it effectively enough, but that's a difference maker for you. If you're good at it, it's not just about not getting beat from the goal line. It's about having built in coverage, not, not just for that short side shot that every once in a while, a guy picks a spot by your ear, being able to push up into that, get your shoulder to the crossbar. It's about being able to get in and out of your post. It's about having the net covered when that play out of the corner gets funneled for a broken play. RVH puts you in the net. A lot of people are like, just stand up, just stand up. I'm like, and watch how many pucks get thrown into the net and end up going in along the goal line or that, that an RVH makes an easy save on. Um, so execution of that technique is something that I've seen increase and the goalies that are having success do it the best. Take a look at a Markstrom. Demko's hit a rut here because they're actually worse than the Rangers defensively in Vancouver. But you look at how they execute and where, what, where that puts them on those broken plays created out of the corners and created off dead angles. And it's as much about that as, as, as it is the every once in a while a guy gets gets a spot from the goal line. If you look at the amount of goals it saves, um, it's really high. And the goalies that are so effective in and out of their posts are better equipped for this increase in that type of attack. Kevin, I got one more question for you. We could talk for a while, but I do have to get to practice soon. One more question for you before I let you get out of here, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. If you had to win a game today, who's your, who's your starting goalie? You can pick any goalie in the world. Who's your starting goalie? Oh, man, that is on the spot. Um, 
you know, I might be waiting for Kerry to come back. Uh, you know, Igor's in this conversation right now, and, and I know Valley's gone over all the numbers with you. You know, he, he just wins, right? He's won at every level, and I think a lot of that is his ability to play so well when the score is tied. Another thing you can sort for on clear side analytics, you know, how many times has he held the Rangers in early till they, till they find their legs? Um, you know, so he, he'd be in that conversation. But at the end of the day, uh, if you're picking anyone – other than Andre Vasilevsky at this point, given what he's done over the last couple of years, playing all those games for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And yeah, listen, they're a wagon. They defend really well. Um, but at times when they don't, he bails them out. After a bit of a slow start, he's making his way back into this conversation near the top of the league. I think it would just be sacrilege right now. As impressed as I am with Igor, I think it would be goalie sacrilege to say anyone other than Andre Vasilevsky. If you picked Igor, I was going to say you're just playing up because you know a lot of Rangers fans are listening right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've, I've definitely got a lot of love for him. But again, like what Vasilevsky's done, and you know, and again, like there's a trend here of Russian goaltenders that you know we could probably spend half an hour on on why that's happening. And you know, ironically, I think it's um, you know in a nutshell because this generation for the most part was left alone as kids. Like we hadn't didn't see a ton of goalie coaching as they were coming up. It was all skating and skills based. Um, and then they added those layers, that, that technical stuff, a little later on. So in addition to sort of having the movement and the edge control and the skating down early, um, because that was the emphasis, and some of it very old school, like sort of almost uh, Vladislav Trechiak style in the teaching. Georgiev went through this as well. He told me like hours. He'd be no pucks, just skating for hours. Like he'd be in tears as a little kid, but he loved it. Um, and then later, he, him, he got in Finland, but now the Russians have brought those goalie coaches in. So as they get into their teens, now they add this layer, uh, this second layer of technical efficiency that you see in a Shesterkin. But in the meantime, they were still playing games as kids, you know, without the down game and the recoveries and the RVH and stuff like that. And they learned how to read games as well. And I think that fuels patience as well. Sort of some of the instinctive stuff that frankly in North America and maybe more so in Canada versus the U.S. right now, we have a tendency almost to coach it out of kids at too young an age. Too much technical stuff at too young an age makes you a little or can make you a little overly reliant on technique to the point you don't develop those instincts so uh, you can never go wrong right now with a high-end Russian goaltender and and you've got one arguably two there hey listen by the way I'm also a big fan of, of Georgie I know it's been a bit of a struggle this year but he doesn't quite transition to the ice he turns a little bit on pucks to his glove and blocker side rather than coming down in front on them but his edge control is also like I love his patience as well and he seems always to be stuck behind one of the best in the world. Um, but I think there's a really, really good goalie there too. So Rangers fans should be excited. I know this year maybe hasn't gone at the start how he wants, um, but he's he's a very capable goaltender as well for a lot of the same reasons. Maybe just not to the degree we're seeing out of Igor right now. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did have that noted here as a possible question to ask you about Georgiev because I think fans are a little down on him right now. I, if you If you look back, Two years ago, before the pandemic, he was on the same team with Lundqvist and uh, Igor, and he ended up leading that team in starts. He was he was solid for them that year. But last year, he had some struggles, especially when Igor went out and they wanted to lean on him. He went into a rut, and they, they had to play Keith Kincaid quite a bit during that stretch. And then this year, he's playing so sparingly, it's so hard to get a rhythm. But it sounds like you do think there is, a, there is maybe a upside as a potential starting NHL goalie, whether it's in New York or somewhere else. 
Well, in an era where you need to, um, you know, at the very least, you're very comfortable saying, like, there's a really good 1B there. Like, I, I've always felt that, like, I think he's almost kind of proven that already. And I know last year was tough. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know the reason why it's kind of hasn't gone as well as it did in the early years. But, like, over a large enough sample size in his first couple of years, like, the numbers were the kind statistically that pointed to success and you know you're right it's a tough spot right now when you're not playing that much everybody's just talking about the other guy and then when you do go in like when we talk about defensively um this isn't just as an excuse but when you when you rely on having arguably the best goalie in the world to win games as regularly as they do like that's a that's a lot of pressure on your goaltender it's a lot of pressure for the guy who's only playing once every what 10 days maybe almost two weeks like that's not an easy thing to do um i still go back to the observations i made early in his career i think the numbers there was enough of them there to indicate and then when i look at his game and his strengths um there's a lot there i so absolutely yeah i don't want to like we're not talking about maybe the same heights as an Igor, but there's only 64 jobs in the league, and and at the very least, I know he's capable of playing a prominent role in one of them. Great, awesome, Kevin. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. I, I think that I mean for me, this is super enlightening and very interesting to hear, and I think a lot of the fans will get a kick out of this too. So I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to plug or let fans know where where to find you on on the way out. Uh, ingoalmag.com just check it out if you're a goalie if you're not a goalie probably not for you but if you're a goalie um, it's not just this type of talk it's actual drills um, instruction tips from the NHL goalies from NHL goalie coaches with video once a week we sit down with an NHL goaltender and watch um, them make saves we basically sit down and do a film session and they tell us how they read the game what they're looking for, handedness, where a guy is on the ice and how that influences where they are in their crease, depth decisions, what type of save selection they make. Really good for those young kids to hear all the information they're processing so they can, like I said, here in North America, we become a little formulaic, but the dynamic elements of the way these guys read the game blows my mind, and I know it can help whether you're a beer leaguer or a young goalie or a parent with a goalie. Uh, Check it out at ingoalmag.com. Very cool. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Yeah, my pleasure. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Kevin. I told you guys he really knows his stuff when it comes to the goalie. So uh, to me, that interview was awesome. It didn't disappoint at all. I think I think it was very informative and really interesting to hear him break all that stuff down. I'm sure a lot of you were hoping that he would have said Igor was his choice to start a game if he had to start one today, but I think Vasilevsky, most people around the league would agree, is the right choice right now. Igor, though, working his way into that conversation, definitely, to me, has been one of the top five goalies in the league so far this season. So, with that, let's move on to our Twitter questions, and we won't be taking any goalie questions this week for obvious reasons, but we will be taking this question from Matthew, who wrote, Love listening to the podcast. Thanks, Matthew. Do you think the Rangers should search the market for a replacement for Sammy Blay and get someone like Tarasenko, or maybe Gautier will be his replacement? Is Gautier NHL ready after registering 13 points in 54 games? I'd like to hear your thoughts. So a a lot of your questions this week were about this, and it's certainly a topic that I'm going to address and that I've been making some calls on. Probably we'll have a story coming out about this at some point in the near future, but, but here are my thoughts, or at least initial thoughts, on what the Rangers do as far as replacing Sammy Blay. 
Obviously, we touched on this in the first portion of the, of the program, and you guys have seen this play out with your own eyes, but Julian Gauthier is going to be the first guy to get a crack at the job. It makes sense. It's really the one of, I should say, the only options that the Rangers have right now because Kratzoff is not in the picture, as you guys know well, and... Gautier is on the roster and and you can't send him down as we've touched on before without letting him clear waivers. So that was obviously the reason the Rangers wanted to keep him around. And now let's see what he's got. I I think the, this first stretch, however long the Rangers are willing to take it five games, 10 games more, they're going to give him a legitimate opportunity. This guy we know since he arrived in New York almost two years ago has constantly been pulled in and out of the lineup. That has not, I believe, done anything great for his confidence. And listen, a lot of it is deserved. I've talked to a lot of people about him in the last couple of years. The skills, as far as the size, you see any of these Rangers with like just their warm-up shirts on or no shirt on. This guy is cut. He is incredibly strong. He is a tremendously fit athlete. He's one of, I would say, the three fastest players on the team. I think Kreider... Heedle and Gautier are probably the three fastest guys on the team. So he's got these things that pop. And we know that he was a productive scorer in the AHL. But that has not translated. And with the scoring not translating, and and I don't know if a lot of people believe that his upside is being a big 30-40 goal scorer in the NHL, he's got to do more than just rely on driving really hard to the net. And we've seen when he drives really hard to the net – he doesn't finish a lot. He gets there, but he's he's got to refine that finishing. But the other aspects of his game, the D-zone coverage, the decision-making, the taking bad penalties, the being responsible in all areas, the engaging in battles and using that size to his advantage, that's something that a lot of people I've spoken to over the years do not feel like he's been very good at. Now, he's 24 now. He's been in New York for a couple of years. He's got a new head coach. Maybe things can work out for the better. Maybe Gallant can figure out how to maximize this guy's potential. And right now, they really don't have many other options. So Gautier is going to get a shot to play in the top nine for at least a handful of games coming up. He scored in the first game, so so far so good. I think that earns him an even longer look. You got to see if he can stack these good games one on top of another. That's going to be the real key here. But no doubt about it, Gautier is the guy who gets the first crack at it, and you see where you go from there. Now, if Gautier doesn't work out, I, I if you look at the other wingers that are in the lineup, Dryden Hunt and Ryan Reeves on the fourth line, neither one of those guys are coming off the fourth line. Those are those are fourth-line guys. So Gautier was able to seize this opening in the top nine, but if he doesn't work out, Morgan Barron has got to be the next guy in line. I know the Rangers are trying to give him an extended look at center right now, but he's also played plenty of wing. He's playing both positions for Hartford right now, from what I understand, mostly center, but he has gotten some looks at wing. And if it comes down to it, whether it's playing Barron on the wing, which I believe everyone believes I should say he should do, he can do, or I really don't think the Rangers want to move Heedle, but if you really want to keep Barron at center, I guess in theory you could move Heedle to the wing. I think the much more likely scenario is that Barron would be the guy in the wing. At some point, maybe you give him a look if you're not happy with what you're seeing from Gautier. And again, you give him 5, 10, 15 games to see what he can do. Ultimately, though, 
I do believe the Rangers are going to make some sort of trade. I don't think it's an urgent situation today. They're 10-3-3. They're winning. Gautier had an encouraging game. You want to give him an opportunity here, and and Barron is not a terrible fallback option. But ultimately, especially because injuries happen, it's not a guarantee that the the 12 forwards the Rangers have in the lineup right now are all going to stay healthy for the rest of the year. So if another guy gets hurt, then what happens? Okay, you call up Barron, or you have McKeg, but McKeg, McKeg is a guy you don't want playing above the fourth line either. So if an injury happens, which inevitably it will, you're going to need more depth. So the Rangers right now have the prospects, especially when you look at the blue line guys. So a lot of those guys that are in Hartford right now, whether it's Schneider, Jones, Robertson, Skinner. We've talked before about how I believe at some point at least one of those guys is going to get dealt. So they have the ammo as far as prospects. They have the ammo as far as draft picks. And they have the ammo as far as cap space. Next year, it's a much different story. But right now, the Rangers are way under the cap. They can take on a five, six, seven million dollar contract and fit it under their cap as it's currently constituted. They could they could go even higher than that, quite frankly, especially if you start moving guys around and carry less than the maximum twenty three on your roster. So, the Rangers can definitely afford a rental if they choose to go that route. Now, you you want to wait a little bit longer. Make sure the team is still in the race. You don't want to go for a rental this early when the team is playing well. You want to see if they can maintain this. And then as you get closer and closer to the trade deadline, you'll get much more serious about, about going out and trying to get another forward, whether it's a center or a winger. Either one, I think, would be a welcome addition for the Rangers at this point. So I do believe that they're eventually going to try to to make a trade. Exactly who that trade will be for. Tarasenko is a guy you mentioned. Some fans wrote in about Phil Kessel. Some fans wrote in about Riley Smith. In theory, those are all realistic, reasonable targets. Those are the guys that have been rumored to possibly be trade bait at some point during the season, especially if their teams fall out of the race. Riley Smith with the Golden Knights, I mean, you would assume the Golden Knights are going to be in it. That They've been a perennial playoff team, so he might be a little more difficult to shake loose. But th- those are all three reasonable names that I think could be had. Again, it depends where their teams stand. If their teams are in the race and-, and those guys are playing well for them, it's hard to imagine that the team would want to trade them. You guys know, I've talked about this before, my ideal dream scenario would be Tomas Hurdle from the San Jose Sharks. And I think that is a team that, you could see falling out of the race as the year goes on. He is a center, a legitimate top six center, who I think would really take this team to the next level. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, so he would be a rental. The Rangers could afford him right now, and then you worry about whether or not you can re-sign him later. Of course, ideally you would like to, but the cap situation may dictate otherwise. We'll have to wait and see how that all plays out once we get to the summer. But as for the here and now, what do the Rangers do with Blay out of the picture? I definitely anticipate a trade at some point, but I don't think it's happening in November. I think Gautier is the guy right now. Barron is the backup plan. And then as you get deeper into the winter, once we get into January, February time, that's when I think you start getting more serious about a trade. But I, I do believe at some point that's something that the Rangers are going to ultimately do, especially if they keep winning. All right. Next question comes from Joe Cagiano, who wrote, This gif 
Is it GIF or JIF? I've heard people with varying opinions on this. So tweet at me and let me know what you prefer. I used to always read it GIF, but then somebody who I think knows more about this stuff than me told me it's supposed to be GIF. I don't know. Whatever. What Joe wrote was, this GIF is incredibly annoying since Reeves was a day late. He and the rest of the team did nothing about Subban slew-footing Blay. You beat up on a rookie, great for you. Now, what Joe is re- referring to is in my tweet where I solicited your Twitter questions, I used the gif or jif of Ryan Reeves doing the Hulk Hogan thing where he is uh, using his hand behind his ear and, and kind of making the crowd get louder. So <laughs> that's Joe is taking exception to my usage of that gif slash jif. So... To answer your question, Joe, although I don't even know, there wasn't really a question there, but I know what you're getting at. Here's what I'll say about this. I actually think that Reeves on Tuesday night gave a really good explanation for why he nor anyone else on the Rangers went after P.K. Subban. Absolutely, I think that the Rangers did and should take exception with what Subban did. We can talk about whether he intended to hurt him. I don't believe that. We can talk about whether it's malicious. It's impossible to say. But the fact is that he has repeatedly tripped guys. He's been fined for it twice already this year. He somehow did not get fined for doing it to Blay. And we also saw him do it to Reeves in the preseason. For whatever reason, this guy has a really bad habit of when he's in the corner battling for a puck with somebody, he extends that leg. And what happened when he did that with Blay resulted in a very serious injury. So absolutely, I get the anger towards him. I'm sure the Rangers feel it. They've said it. But when we asked Reeves about it on Tuesday night, he said, listen, it was a close game. It was a tie game. It ended up going to overtime and and being a shootout. And he knew that Subban is not the kind of guy who's going to drop the gloves. He said if he would have went after him, Subban probably would have refused to fight. He would have had to try to do something aggressive like cross-checking him or something like that to try to get him to fight, and then what happens? The refs blow the whistle, Reeves gets called for a penalty, he ends up in the box, and the Devils have a power play. So the explanation, I thought, was was pretty enlightening. I thought it made a lot of sense. Reeves said, listen, I know that there's certain guys that if I challenge them will fight me, and I know there's other guys who just aren't going to do it. They're going to cower or whatever you want to call it, and they're just not going to do it. So if you are being the aggressor and challenging them and cross-checking them and pushing and shoving and throwing punches and the other guy isn't doing anything, you're the one that's going to get called for the penalty. So in a, in a close game like that, where you're trying to make sure your team comes away with two points, I think it was a smart move for Reeves when you hear the way that he explained it. Now, he did say that for a guy like Subban, he thinks the better way to send a message or to get him back, get some revenge, would be to just lay him out with a big hit. He said that the best way to do it is going to be in the flow of the game. When I see an opportunity where he has his head down and he's not paying enough attention to me, I'm going to let him have it. He he said that. He obviously was sending a message to Subban through the media. So I think that the people that are still getting worked up about this, to me, it's over the top. I absolutely get the desire to defend Blay, the desire for the Rangers to stick up for their teammates. And that had been building for sure because we had seen Igor Shesterkin get run over a couple times. And I know the Rangers had faced some criticism about not having enough of a response in those situations. And when we asked guys like Chris Kreider about it, he really took exception 
to people calling them out in that way and acting like they were they were being soft in that situation. And then you saw what Kreider did when Igor got run over in Columbus. Kreider went right after the guy. So I think the Rangers are getting a little sensitive to that. And, and I think that the Reeves fight on Tuesday night against Montreal in a lot of ways was almost like getting the monkey off their back. I said to Reeves, I was like, is it kind of like a, a goal scorer scoring his first goal for you to get your first fight with a new team? And he was like, yeah, actually it, 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 what, it is one of those things that it feels good to sort of get out of the way and shake the rust off and all that. And I really felt that that moment galvanized the team. I, I mentioned earlier that Capo Kaka was wide eyed when I asked him about it. And you guys saw some of the images of the bench and the big smiles from the Rangers. I think them having Reeves on their side, really is something that the players are taking a lot of pride in. And I think that Reeves is a guy who has earned the respect of his teammates, no doubt, hands down. So, well, Joe, I get what you're saying. You wish that he would have done something to Subban. I also think that he offered a pretty good explanation for why he didn't. And as for the rookie thing, I mean, I'm sorry, not Subban. Reeves made it very clear that he did not challenge that kid, that the, the kid came up behind him and was calling him out. And Reeves was like, I was confused. Like, I didn't even know what he was asking me for. I couldn't believe that this guy was was challenging me and calling me out when he said there was no chirping or nothing that he felt like had really led to what would be a potential fight. <laughs> he said at first he thought that, oh, man, maybe this is some kid from the minors who's a killer and a great fighter and is trying to make a name for himself by knocking me out. <laughs> but then, as Reeves pointed out, you know, I assumed wrong. Uh, obviously, as we saw, Reeves definitely got the better of him in that fight. Now, it was a brave move on the kid, uh, on the kid's part. You know, you have to give him some credit, as Gallant said after the game. But at the same time, <laughs> Reeves is a bad dude. I'm not sure there's, there's too many guys that are going to get the better of him when they drop the glove. So I, I think, to me, I get the urge to fight, and I, and I get the urge to protect your teammates. I think this stuff gets overblown way too much. And as Reeves explained, there are nuances to this. It's not as easy as just this guy did something bad to my teammates, so I'm going to go after him. You got to make sure that you pick your spots properly. And I thought Reeves did a good job of articulating that. All right. Final question comes from Josh Adam Z, who wrote, oh, this is a big question. Will you ever reveal your mystery shampoo? So for those of you who may not follow on Twitter, although if you're listening to the podcast, I feel like you're probably on Twitter too. But anyway, those of you who might not have seen on Twitter, while we were in Columbus, Artemi Panarin, after he had a big game against his former team, started off the the press conference after the game by asking me what shampoo I use. You guys might not have seen a picture of me recently. I don't know, but I have not had a haircut since February of 2020, pre-pandemic. My barber shut down at the time, and I just got lazy, I guess you can call it. I didn't look for another barber. Everything was closed. I was in New York City. We were locked down. (laughs) You know, you were like almost scared to go outside at the beginning of it. So I've done this before. When I was in college, I didn't cut my hair for a couple of years. When I was in my mid to late 20s, I didn't cut my hair for a couple of years. And what I've tried to do at the end of each one of those non-haircut stints is donate it. Uh, I've given to uh, St. Baldrick's Hospital for Children's Cancer. This time I'm going to give it to Sloan uh, for their children's cancer. I I just think it's, it's something that I like to do. I have relatives who have gone through cancer, beat cancer, some not beat cancer. I actually have a young, my cousin's young daughter is going through cancer right now. So to me, it's something that, that I decided I want to let it grow 
and get to the point where I can donate it. I'm probably going to wait till the end of the season. Then uh, you guys will, if you guys see me, I'll have a shaved head. So my hair changes all the time. It's super long right now and only getting longer by the day. So some of the players have made fun of me about it a little bit. When I told Ryan Strom recently, I was like, well, I'm actually trying to give it to kids for cancer. Ryan was like, oh, well, I guess I can't make fun of you now. But anyway, Panarin started off this press conference by being like, what shampoo do you use? Your hair looks great. And so uh, I told him that the truth is, and, and here's the big reveal for you, Josh. The truth is I couldn't even tell you that there's one that I use. I do have a couple tips, but my main thing is, number one, I used to date somebody who got me in the habit of when it's growing long, especially do not wash it every day. She's like in fashion, works in L.A., does all this crazy stuff now with like actresses and makeup and hair and all this stuff. Don't wash it every day. So that I feel like helps it stay really healthy. Wash it like two or three times a week probably I would say. And then the other thing is my fiance keeps a couple different shampoos in the shower. So I just rotate those. I don't like to use the same one every time. So I think there's a L'Oreal in there and then there's something else. And there's three of them in there right now. So I rotate those. I do not use a shampoo every day. And quite frankly, I don't buy it. Whatever she buys, I happily use. I'm not too fancy when it comes to that stuff. But again, the key for me is just not washing it every day and then rotating the shampoos that I do use. So there's the big reveal for you guys. Sorry, I didn't have like one brand. I was going to pump up on the show. I told Artemi the same thing. And then I asked him what he uses. And he said, I don't wash my hair and winked at me. I don't think he actually meant that, but I'm (laughs) going to follow up with him next time I see him. And I'll get back to you guys on that one. So with that, and I'll do it for the show. I can't believe we ended up talking about my hair at the end of this one. But I I, kind of like when these shows go in unpredictable directions. (laughs) And anyway, next week's going to be episode number 50. I I think we're going to have an exciting guest. I got a couple balls in the air right now. So I'll get back to you guys on exactly who it's going to be. Again, really appreciate Kevin coming on the show this week. Really looking forward to next week. Can't believe we're already at episode number 50. But let's get through 49 first. We're going to call it a night now, and I will talk to you guys next.